The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 100 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Andy Bonillo. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that my present or past employers. I've never disclosed any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as well to my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So as you can tell, I'm really sick, <laughs> and I, I have no voice. It's cracking all over the place. Uh, it sounds kind of silly, but the show must go on. You know, this is the 100th episode of Task Force 7 Radio, and I couldn't be more excited to uh, broadcast this episode. I, uh, it's been a, a, an interesting ride. I can't believe we're at 100 already. I remember when we were doing the pilot episode. We just decided that we were going to launch it within, you know, a couple of weeks. No one even knew about it within, you know, the first few days of the, the first episode being uh, uh, aired. And I think we're, you know, we've reached hundreds of thousands of people. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. We're growing all the time. We set another record for listenership last month. And I was really jacked up about that. And uh, look, last week we had another great show again, episode number 99. We had a return rock star guest, the chairman of the InfraGuard Technology Committee, Alan Espinosa, was on the show last week to talk about the alarming proliferation of ransomware. And it was a great talk. I mean, we had, we had, you know, had a dialogue about things like how ransomware actually spreads. You know, what happens when, ransom, when a ransomware attack is initiated and how criminals choose their ransomware targets. And we've been reading a lot in the news lately about people who have been victimized by ransomware. We also got into what, what do you do if you become a victim of ransomware? What, what exactly should you do? Who should you call? You know, so what are some of the steps, which I think a lot of people find impor uh, important and interesting. And then also how to prevent ransomware from being introduced into your network, which I think there's a lot of cybersecurity professionals that listen to this show that'd be very interested in that topic. And then Espinosa, he also stayed on the cybercrime topic in the second segment of the show by also talking about business email compromises, and we were calling them BECs for short. And he's talked about what type of BECs, BEC scams exist, right? And then how criminals use BEC scams to commit crimes. And also, again, just like malware, what to do if you're a victim of the BEC scam and how you can prevent your business uh, from uh, being scanned by these business email compromises and wreaking havoc uh, on your networks, right? So in the last segment of the show, 
last week, uh, he finally spoke about what executives can do to protect their data when traveling internationally. And he gave recommendations on what protocols are best to follow when they return home. And I think that is a really, really interesting topic. People love to talk about that because in the business, there's a lot of people that are very concerned when they travel to certain countries about the security on their devices. And a lot of people don't understand what happens when they go to these other countries and, and how much risk is really there compared to where they, when they operate here at home in the United States or some other countries as well. So obviously we have about you know, maybe 45, 50 uh, countries that tune into the show. People from all over the world listen to this show. So I think they're going to find it very interesting. So we had all that and much, much more on last week's episode. That's episode number 99 of Task Force 7 Radio. That's with the chairman of the InfraGuard Technology Committee, Alan Espinosa. It was great, people. Don't, don't, if you haven't listened to it, make sure you go back and, and catch it when you get a chance. Don't miss it. I'm telling you, it's a great show. So if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which we think is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio, and you can even write comments on the different news articles and topics that we are talking about, which is always a lot of fun to do and interact with other TF7 Radio listeners. We're in at least 12 different playback mediums right now, and we've made it easy to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage at tf7radio.com, and you will see your entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website, which we think is the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. This way, you'll get all the TF7 Radio updates right from the site, and as the site gets more robust, you'll get notified about TF7 Extras, Encore episodes like the one we posted last week, or the week before last week, I should say. We actually posted two of them, one for the holiday, and one the week before that is the, is the regular monthly uh, August uh, Encore episode. And so you, you'll get uh, other Task Force 7 news and events and information on the upcoming TF7 Network, too, when you do that. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we got a really interesting guest tonight here to talk about a, a very interesting cybersecurity topic. Chief Security Architect and Cybersecurity Researcher Rich Wickersham will be on the show with us this evening. And Rich's uh, research consists of a focus on open source intelligence, data mining and analyzing adversary targeting methods that utilize social media. Now I know we have a lot of people that uh, are on social media that listen to this show, uh, especially LinkedIn. I think we have a lot of listeners that are on LinkedIn. We have a huge presence of following uh, on that social media platform. And Rich has created several models to demonstrate the methods that our adversaries use to target users on LinkedIn as the means to achieve a specific objective. So Rich previously spoke at DEF CON 26 in the, in the Recon Village at the, at the Advanced Cybersecurity Center in 2018 on targeting against the LinkedIn platform and countermeasures that they were using to uh, combat this issue. So this is going to be a great topic. So it's time to get this party started, folks. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Chief Architect and Cybersecurity Researcher, Mr. Richard 
Wickersham. Rich, welcome to the show. George, Andy, it's good to be here. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Rich. Look, I'm really glad to have you on the show. I'm really excited about the topic that we have this week. Uh, and I want to ask you about all the work and research that you have done around targeting of specific groups on social media platforms. And this kind of thing, I think, I think personally, everybody wants to know about it. And I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think a lot of folks will find it very informative and fascinating. And um, I think it's going to make for a great show. And I think a lot of people are going to listen in. And raising this awareness is really important, too, about how bad guys are using social media as an important, um, I guess, tactic and, and tool for what they do in, in, their, in their TTPs and how they operate. So before we get started, I did go over a little bit about your, in your bio uh, as a lead up to the interview, but can you just tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, so I think, George, as you said, um, I work in the private sector. I'm a chief security architect. Um, I've been active in the research community for many years. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've always preferred to kind of keep a low, low profile and but I think this is one of the issues that kind of forced me to kind of pick up the mic. And, um, you know, I did that. I spoke a couple of years ago at DEF CON um, on the subject of targeting within LinkedIn and targeting in general against social media. Um, I think as, a, as an architect, I, I tend to uh, think a little bit out of the box. I always put my adversary hat on when I'm building a system. Um, the teams and people that work for me, you know, I always ask them what can go wrong. Show me what's there. Um, show me, you know, from an adversary perspective, how you could um, compromise a system. Um, if we're thinking about a platform or a release, uh, what could go wrong um, from the adversary perspective? And for me also, I, I've worked just about every single role in our field at some point from developer to architect, to leading incident response, to hunting for highly capable adversaries. And I think at, at its genesis, and uh, this is sort of the mold that I shape my people into that works for me, you know, I think, again, it, it comes down to good threat modeling and how you look at what adversaries are doing. So that's, that's just a little bit about my background. I think I'm more focused on my, uh, my night job versus my day job in this discussion. And uh, you know the research and the way I've looked at these problems. Before we go on the, to the threat modeling piece, which I can't wait to get your opinion on, I, I'm curious. And when you talk to your people, you know your people are coming up in the industry, and you know we always say we want to be as close to the threat as possible. You know, and understand how to think like the bad guy. How, how are you getting your your people to uh, or people you advise to to start to think like the bad guy, and, and what do they need to do to get there? So. In order to think like an adversary, I mean, again, I think it's just asking yourself what can go wrong. Um, I think being part of the research community, going to conferences, going to things like B-sides in your area, which is probably local to most of your listeners if they're in the U.S., depending on where they are, uh, going to, to, to um, conferences like DEF CON, you know. Going there, I mean, you're going to meet good people, you're going to meet bad people, but all of these people have information that can be used. And if you look at the way the smartest people think and you think like them, which is an out-of-the-box, using out-of-the-box methods, you shouldn't be, you know, if somebody's on my team and they want to point out something that, that's a little bit different of a perspective, I'm always going to take that into consideration. Um, and I'm going to encourage that behavior. 
Um, I think that's probably where, where it starts. Is, and, and also, you've got to build your network too. You've, you, you've got to use each other to make the whole stronger. Um, and that's outside of the people you work with. They may have one specific viewpoint. I think, um, you know, you need to take in the viewpoints and, and the methods that other folks are using, whether they're on the blue team, the red team, they're good guys or bad guys. Um, you can take them as a data point and uh, you can use them. So, Rich, how did you start looking at social media as a primary method for targeting? Like, why did you do that? And, and, and how did that come about? So for me, I think it, it came about organically in my life. Uh, you know, there, there are people, you know, I think people you care about that you want to protect. And then also in my job, I mean, if you want to protect your company properly, if you want to protect your interests properly, and even from a civic duty perspective, if you want to look at, you know, how do I protect my country, you look at, at social media as the, the soft underbelly, I think, of free societies, you know. People are free to talk about um, who they are, what they do, and what they have access to. Um, so I think that's the, the, the key area for me. So let's level set the conversation a little bit let's, so that everybody understands what threat modeling is. You know, we've mentioned it already, and it's sort of the basis for um, a lot of the conversation and dialogue that we're going to have. So can you define threat modeling for us, and, and, and in your view, uh, what kind of uh, a meaning does it have in terms of targeting on social media? So threat modeling, again, is what can go wrong. Uh, when you build a social media platform, you have to think about this from the adversarial perspective, um, and you need to think about it in each release. Um, what, what can go wrong? What can a bad guy do against my users with this data, with this function that we're adding? Um, and you have to, in terms of social media, you have to also look at the business drivers for social media. Um, their primary goal is to bring more users into the platform. That means uh, um, no barrier to entry to the platform or as little of a barrier as possible and to steer more traffic toward the platform. That's user traffic. That equals advertisement. So um, you also want to extend capability to your users, but that capability needs to be monetized in some way. And each time you do something, um, you know, there's, there is the potential of someone exploiting what you have done, uh, someone taking advantage of it. And, you know, I think within this particular platform, um, and you can see this across all of social media, the way, the way they were shaped, their, fundam their fundamental issues that make us all weak. And, and when I look at a platform like LinkedIn, um, and I align those risks uh, to us, and to particularly in the corporate world, and basically any vertical, I think, uh, you know, it's sort of to the limit of your imagination, and we'll get more into that. Um, that you know you've got to be very you've got to be very careful, and I think you have uh, a duty that isn't just on the you can't put it all on your users. You have to put it on on the the, the teams that have designed these platforms. You have to put it on. Um, I think there's a, gr a greater good that needs to be done. I think threat modeling needs to be part of it, um, and that's that's pretty much where it sits. Yeah. So you mentioned LinkedIn. How does targeting occur on the LinkedIn platform? So 
what, what I looked at um, when I when I put the LinkedIn uh, targeting model together was, you know, I looked at it in, in several facets. I looked at open source intelligence gathering methods against LinkedIn and the fact that LinkedIn, the majority of all people have a public profile. They're, they apparently, I mean, they don't have good OPSEC, but many people are just not aware of their privacy settings within the platform. This is a condition that's been in place for many, many, many years. Um, so what you can do as an unauthenticated user or what you can scrape, and, and by scrape, I mean, I think it's as simple as you can open up a search engine and if you know the right syntax um, to target at LinkedIn, you can deliver results. Those results are about people. And people are often the first phase of, uh, of, of an operation. Who has access to the target system? If you're a capable adversary or a you know, highly capable adversary or a low capability adversary, this is always the question you ask is who has access? Because once you know who, you know what credential to go for. So I've jumped a little bit into it, but how they're targeted initially is, is likely through an unauthenticated search. Um, so through an unauthenticated search, you can find a high number of, of uh, potential targets. And this is through keywords. So keywords are included in your profiles, how you describe yourself. Um, I have access to this system. These are the, the roles I perform in my job. I work at this company. I work in this location. When you combine these keywords um, with a, lo a little bit of location data, then you can, uh, you can you, if you're an adversary, you can really execute something interesting and interesting in a way that's bad for most of us. So what do you mean interesting? What can they do? I mean, you know, there's, um, I think most of our audience out here is on LinkedIn, right? We have a huge presence on LinkedIn. Uh, the show does. I know both Andy and I uh, have a decent following on LinkedIn. Um, we have a lot of relationships there, a huge network, and I think a lot of people who listen to the show are on LinkedIn or are listening very closely to what you're saying right now. So when, when they have these keywords and their in the you know these targeted keywords and their and their bios and there's just geographical information that's mixed into it, I mean, what is really the danger to them? I mean, what 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 is going on in the background that they don't see possibly? So I, I believe that there is a high likelihood, and we've seen some of this in the news recently, um, with uh, some foreign governments attempting to recruit people that have access to specific systems. So I know if, if you're an adversary, you know that someone has access to your target. Um, then you may reach out either directly to that person. Um, you may create a persona to make contact with that person. But first, I guess the first piece I want to focus in on is, is the acquisition. That's what we just covered. I mean, there's, it's openly available on the internet, typically, unless you've locked down your settings. If you're a user, um, at any point, if you, if you haven't locked down your privacy settings, it's likely that a capable adversary has harvested all of that data. They've scraped that data, they're storing it, and they're doing data modeling off of it. And that data, if you are particularly in a specialized role, is going to be good for years and years and years. So what you do today is important, but what you did previously is also important. And as a user, you've got to be aware of that. If you slip up, if you make a mistake in, you, in your profile, if you slip the name of a system that only your company has, and the bad guys have harvested this about you and people in your network through public, unauthenticated search, they can then tie that data together. 
and you become part of a, um, you, you fit a targeting model. So you're an acquired target at that point. George, it almost sounds like when we were doing Intel back in the day, right? We were trying to go after these high level elite hackers who, you know, by the time we were looking at them for major data breaches, you know, they were hard to find, right? But then when you dig into their past and you start to go down that trail, you see they, they put something up that would maybe merge their real world identity with their online identity, like when they first started, right? Like yeah, before they, yeah, before, once it's on the internet, it's hard to get it off, right? So before they actually got involved in criminal activity, there were some remnants of who they really were. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Except yeah. Like in this case, like, you know, people obviously aren't trying to mask their real identity. They're on LinkedIn because they want jobs. They want to communicate and build their brand and do all the things that we talk about they should be doing, right? So you put all that stuff out and then it just, the, the, the stuff just gets piled on top of each other. <laughs> There's more data out there than when you started. Where in the bad guys world, it starts out a little bit and then it gets less. In our world, it starts out and then it keeps growing. Yeah, so we got to take a commercial break right now. But when we come back, I want to talk about exactly what people can do and, you know, where the line is drawn in terms of, you know, you have your how much information is public about you. And let's face it, when people build their brand and it's more public and they build followings and they, you know, they have a big network and a lot of opportunities uh, come up. I mean, the old fashioned way of just not having any internet presence. I mean, I, I just can't, I don't see it unless you're in the government, in certain agencies, of course. But otherwise, if you're in corporate, I really don't know too many people who don't have an internet presence. Uh, and a lot of these, especially in, in a business professional network, yeah, um, it almost seems like a necessity really. Um, so look, I'm going to, we're going to get, we're going to get back to that. Cause I, I I'm, 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 uh, I'm tempted to get into it right now. I've got to take a break. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform because we're out there. We're out there. we got to be out there. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's George.Redis at TF7. That's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, Chief Security Architect and Cybersecurity Researcher, Mr. Rich Wickersham, whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected, 
They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Signet, S-I-N-E-T. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snork detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from Sock Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.sockprime.com with promo code radio2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code radio2019. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Chief Security Architect and Cybersecurity Researcher, Mr. Rich Wickersham. So, Rich, in the, in the first uh, segment of the show, we were talking about what the first phase uh, of this whole targeting process. And I know there's a few phases uh, that happen after this uh, initial targeting um, uh, occurs. What is the process and what are the next phases after a target is identified on, on social media? How does it work? Yeah, so I'll jump through the, uh, the rest of the, the four other methods that are available to 
an adversary or potential methods. And I think the data always tells us a story on this and the data that's available on the platform. So we went through unauthenticated users um, and, and what someone can get, you know, via a, a search engine, for example, or by scraping the site and the value of that data over time and the fact that it's being aggregated by the bad guys. The second piece is authenticated users. Now, this is where the personas play in. Um, somebody that is an authenticated user to the platform can capture your relationships, um, the shared data to connections, the data that you had your privacy settings set, but you've allowed people within your network to have access to that data. The third type was recruiters. So recruiter accounts can extract large amounts of data from the platform. Again, your privacy settings still hold true, but I don't think we can rule out whether or not a recruiter has been compromised or taken over and or is a persona. Um, that, that's an interesting thought, and I'm sure we might talk more on that. The, the fourth method is via data products. And I haven't looked at data products, but you always want to take into account scenarios like what happened with Cambridge Analytica and whether or not you can take a data product that has been anonymized and de-anonymize it in some way. Um, it, all of these methods are useful. So, hey, Rich, back to the recruiter, man. I, I got to believe that once people start looking for a new job, uh, they're putting out way more data that maybe they previously would have on the pl on their profile to beef it up and uh, build their brand up. Like, are you seeing anything there? What's what are you seeing there? Yeah, yeah. And actually, just this week we had a ruling in California again um, in favor of HIQ. Uh, LinkedIn attempted to sue them for uh, basically they were extracting they were looking at data in sort of this the same way that I do and the way a lot of people do. Unfortunately, a lot of the bad guys do. Uh, they were looking for an expansion of your LinkedIn profile as an indicator that you might be looking for a new job. Now, this can be a risk to a company. You know, you know somebody's looking, they might leave with your IP, for example. But they were selling data products based on that. And I'm, I'm again, keeping that at a high level. But when people are looking for a job, psychologically, there's, there's a change. You're way more likely to accept a connection from a recruiter. You're more likely to accept um, an attachment from a recruiter. You're more likely to give a recruiter more information about you. And when you look at these scenarios, plus the fact that the ex expansion of the profile has occurred and more data is available at that time, it's, it's very worrisome. And I, I look very carefully at the recruiters. Also, when you explore access, if, if, you are, you know, if we're, we work in the same field, we're in the same network, we only have access to so many people and so much data. A recruiter has a tremendous amount of access. They can cross verticals um, and market. Uh, they, they have access to a larger number of people potentially. And I think, you know, when a recruiter reaches out to me and I'm in need of a job, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm much more likely to accept that request. I'm much more likely to provide more data to them. So there's, there's so many layers of recruiter. <laughs> that I think we could jump it's into. Like a, it's almost like being a privileged user on the on the on the platform versus uh, like a regular user. Is that kind of how you're viewing it? Yep, that is exactly how I I view it. And um, again, it's who has access to our data, and you know, at its at its heart, and a recruiter has has lots of access. Uh, therefore, it would be an interesting role to assume if you're a bad actor in order to gain information.
So, you know, it's really interesting. I know from a recruiter perspective, when you map out the organizational construct of, a, of an information security department in a Fortune 500 company, you know, where people are, who they report to, what their role is, you know, uh, uh, you know what kind of, what they're accountable for and what they're responsible for, that is very, very valuable information to them. And, um, the, and people pay a lot of money in the recruiting world for that type of information. I can only imagine that that type of information is also very valuable to some bad people, you know, the bad guys. And, uh, it, you know, it, certainly we know that the, some governments have mapped out entire organizations and entire government structure, structures as well. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're on there like night and day just making sure they know who everybody is and what everybody does and who they are. And I guess, you know, to your point, when we opened up the segment, we were talking a little bit about how vulnerable those people could be. And, you know, to, you know, blackmail and some of them, just, you know, I guess some of these nation states just try to, you know, pay these people outright and say, hey, look, you know, get them on board and help us out. But and try to appeal to uh, maybe somebody who's in financial difficulty or something like that. But then you, know, you have companies, right? You have companies who are trying to defend themselves against these these threats. And this is a topic of a conversation in a lot of security departments in major Fortune uh, 500 companies and other companies as well, obviously. Now, LinkedIn just came out with a large number of uh, personas that they actually got rid of. And they just made, you know, that big news release. I think it was 21 million uh, people or personas that they kicked off their, their, uh, their platform. But I think the 21 million is a little misleading because I think a lot of those were people that were trying to create um, uh, uh, personas on LinkedIn, but they were stopped almost right out of the gate. What's your thoughts on that? Like, how, you know, what was that all about? And 21 million should it be as alarming as it sounds? Yeah, it should be alarming. I think the number was much higher, actually. Okay. Um, and and it, what's interesting to me is that they're reporting this now. I mean, we've known about this issue. It's been talked about uh, since early 2017 in, in high regard. I mean, I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll always come into something like this is w what did they know when and what did they do about it? And these statistics show that, that now LinkedIn is developing more of a capability. I think the fact that they've moved their platform into Azure is giving them probably more telemetry, um, probably based on geo, where people are coming from, whether it's a Tor node or, or from somewhere uh, that we've, we've tied to some operation. And then, you know, I think the personas that aren't very good are sloppy and probably easy to detect. Um, a well-created, a well-crafted persona um, by a capable adversary. Number one, they probably are already there and they've been there for a while um, in the platform because the platform was more or less open to this. It was very easy to create personas within the platform. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of concerns on on what's there. I have concerns on what has been reported. Um, if, if you or I are reached out to by a persona, we have a persona in our network. I don't believe that LinkedIn has a responsibility to inform us that we've been touched or that we've been targeted. Uh, that's the sort of thing I would like to see. Um, you know, there's, yeah, so you think it's a lot more than, than, than 21 million. Cause I, I just looked it up and said there's 21.6 million fake accounts between January and June, 19 point. Uh, 5 million never made it live on the site because they were thwarted during a registration according to CNET um, article on August 21st, 2019. Uh, the article's named LinkedIn thwarted over 20 million fake accounts in the first half of 2019, just to make sure I'm, I'm quoting the article properly. Um, so, you know, it, it, do you think it's a lot more? Do you think it's like tens more million of accounts that they actually got rid of or? 
Yeah, well, I hope so. And I, I hope in prior years they've gotten rid of some too, because I've not seen those past statistics and I haven't seen them talked about, which tells me that either they're very quietly working on this in the background or the, their capability for kicking out personas is just now come online a little late. <laughs> and I know that they've been kicking them out, but. You think it's a reaction to what's going on with Facebook and Twitter and, and everything else or. Yeah, yeah. And I got to, I got I to tell you, uh, one of the reasons, uh, you know, I spoke at DEF CON last year is when I, you know, actually, I knew I knew I needed to do it based on what was there. And just the fact that we've seen the same pattern. And particularly, I think, uh, the, uh, you know, anything that gets in the, the third rail of election manipulation becomes something that, that regulators or politicians become very interested in. So I think that sort of forced Facebook's hand. I almost wish LinkedIn had been more involved in that conversation because the damage that the LinkedIn platform can do um, to anything, including elections, I mean, it's another social media platform. And I think, um, you know, d- disinformation and manipulation of people, all these things that will apply in the LinkedIn platform, but it also, you know, has what we do for a living. Um, you know, I think, that maybe if we'd forced a security review, the way Facebook took an, took an action to force a security review for users, we'd done that in LinkedIn, we might be in a better position in terms of attack surface on that platform today. So I think now you're seeing more things uh, pop up in the news, you know, and, uh, whether LinkedIn's putting them out there or other people are. You know, I was responding to, a, you know, some posts just this week um, on people that had found personas that appeared to work for their company, but actually did not or their organization. And, you know, I, it's, it's clearly a bigger problem than, than what they've taken action on. I don't want to speculate on the, the exact number or the number they've wiped out previously, but I, I'm guessing there's still a lot of activity going on in there in terms of personas. So what can companies do and what can individual professionals do to protect themselves from targeting on LinkedIn? So for users, it comes down to OPSEC. Um, you know, you've got to be careful about what you post, about what you do, um, what you post about where you work, what you post that is geographically relevant to where you work. Um, so people, you know, so people, you know, just posting where they work, they shouldn't do that. I mean, it's going to be, that's a, that's going to be a hard sell to a lot of people, right? So I think, I think you can do it, but make sure your, your security settings are set up properly. And we'll get into what LinkedIn should do too. I think if your security settings are completely hardened, you can put that information out there. Um, but be very careful. If you make the mistake once, somebody else is going to pull that data potentially. And you've, you've got to be aware of that. I kind of feel like there's a give and take here. It's like you're almost, you know, like when you work at a financial institution and you're in the security department, you can do a lot of things to secure your online platforms, right? And your move money platforms. But you can, you know, shut it down so there could be no fraud and it's can completely secure, but you won't have any customers either. <laughs> right. So you know, it's about the there's this there's this balance between the customer experience and security. And I think what we're talking about here is a balance between, you know, how, you know, how many opportunities you might get by exposing your brand and building your brand and being more public with the information about you and what you're about and your and, and your um, your talent and your skills versus, you know, bad guys using that against you, right? And so it's a, it's a kind of a, it's, I don't know, it's, it's pretty tough. It's a, it's a big problem. So I can tell you from the targeted user analytics perspective, if you use terms that are unique 
and system names that are unique to your company. Uh, things, things like that and those map. And from a business perspective, you have to look at this as well. If you're, you know, if you're, if you have crown jewels defined, if they're unique or, you know, whatever they may be, you don't want your users using that language and putting it out in a public manner. Um, and I think hardening our users and good training and OPSEC is something that we've, we've got to do at the corporate level. Um, and we have to do at the personal level. If there's somebody in my network and they ask me, you know, Rich, what do, what do I need to do to improve my OPSEC? I'm going to give them a, a pretty long tick list potentially. And maybe, maybe I'll look at them at their footprint with me. And I think if you're in a business, then you need to footprint your users and particularly map it to your crown jewels. If your users are leaking something about their access to your crown jewels, the adversaries are going to hone in and target them. And the data is going to show the adversary that they're, they're, um, you know, an acquired target, they're, they're a high, high likelihood of access. It's all probability. It's all math at the end of the day. What about job descriptions that are posted on LinkedIn? I mean, that, companies give up a ton about their strategy, their location strategy, what skills and types of people they're looking for in what locations. How does that factor in? Is that the next level of targeting? Like, hey, I want to go after this yeah. user. Or is it, hey, let me look at, you know, the, the broader view first, like the job description side of things, and then go look for the person who might fit in with one of those places. Like, which, which, which order does it go in? Um, you can go in either order. You can go, in, and I think both will be done at the same time through open source methods. And then again, you can correlate the data, the terms, the systems, um, the roles in a company may mean something that may be a unique language to that company. And when you start putting this data together, so if you, if you peel through a job site and you find a unique system name, and then you find a user that has, has great OPSEC, they haven't listed their company name, but they've listed that unique system name, you just de-anonymize that user. Relatively easy to do. All this comes together, all the OSINT things that can connect a company to, to something that is unique within that company or a user to something that is unique within that company or, and or a crown jewel are very important to the bad guys. And the bad guys are most certainly aligning and statistically analyzing this data for targeting. So how do people build these personas? And, and, and when you build these personas, do you mean like inside the business network itself or in social media platforms or, you know, or what's the difference? Yeah, so I think per personas are within the network. And I've, I've arrived at something through through looking at this problem for a period of years. And it's, it's an interesting solution, I think, to some of the problems. Not only do you need to conduct targeted user analysis, but we need to consider that we may need to put defensive personas in place to slow down um, the bad guys, to increase the expense of their operations. And so I've looked at personas both as something that the, the ad, our adversaries are doing against us and something that we may need to do. Um, so if I put if I put something out there, and again, I also I looked at this in terms of deception and uh, the deception space and in, in the security field, you know how we we put honeypots and deception is basically honeypots for those that want to step back a bit. Um, but if you put a fake system on your network or something to entice an adversary to go to that system, but there's no data outside of your network and social media or any footprint that a human would use that would lead an adversary to be to go toward that honeypot or that deception, uh, you know, credential, canary credential, whatever it may be. There's no reason for them to go to it. It's actually 
of limited value. But if you had a persona in social media and that mapped, you already did a targeted user analysis and they had all the keywords associated with high value target, the data model, and an adversary found that and then they found a few other um, pieces in, in external social media and then they came into your network and they're looking for that, they're trying to enumerate that high value target or they're trying to fish them directly. Then it really works because it passes a smell test. So I, I am actually a proponent of defensive personas. And uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a little bit different way of thinking about the problem, but we have an imperfect system and we have a lot of attack surface. And if you're in, if you're in a company today, then you, you may start looking at that. And I know for a fact that, there, that I've spoken with other researchers and other folks that have looked at exactly this and they may be doing it. Yeah, so, but creating defensive personas would be against LinkedIn policy, wouldn't it? True, it would be, but creating personas is against LinkedIn policy and the bad guys are doing it to us. Um, it's, it's a tough world. You know, I think uh, the goal ultimately will be that hopefully LinkedIn will lock down their platform for users and we can, we can have only our trusted network in our network. And I think at the platform level, if, it's really most of this needs to be done at the platform level. If they have good controls, then you can't create a defensive persona. You can't create an offensive persona, or it becomes a much higher level of difficulty. But if the level of difficulty is low, and you're left with a situation where you're getting picked apart, particularly if you're a targeted or a targeted um, group, um, you have something important that you need to protect, then it's a it's it's an interesting world. How much more difficult is this? Uh, due to the fact that LinkedIn does not verify the identity of their members? It's, it's much more difficult, and I think we need some sort of a scoring um, on people. You know, I look at, when I look at somebody that's trying to connect to me uh, in my network, or if I'm looking at it through the you know, perspective of a company, if they don't have many connections, then there's probably something strange there. Um, you know, I think we, we, we need to flag that. I mean, you know, we need them to, to put that in. We need to rate people. We need to have some second layers of verification. They need to put in some of the same controls that Twitter's put in, frankly. And uh, that, that's probably, probably a high likelihood that that's in the works, frankly. All right. So what type of users are most susceptible to targeting in the LinkedIn platform? Is there somebody that they're looking for specifically out there? I mean, a lot of this could be, you know, I mean, it depends on what their motives are, right? I would imagine, but what's your, what's your take on that? So I think I would take this in, in a couple of different ways. One, it's if, if a user has access to something critical, intellectual property, you know, any number of, any number of things and, and, and what they do. So they, they've, in your acquisition phase, they've become a high value target because of a high degree of match, either to company, to role, and, and keywords. Um, what would make them more susceptible would be, again, I think their, their position. Um, if they're looking for a new job, they're certainly going to be highly susceptible um, to targeting. I think the, the other piece there is after the acquisition phase, uh, that an adversary goes through comes the enrichment phase. So the enrichment phase is, is additional open source gathered data points about the user, but it's also breach data. 
And I think one of the things we've, we've recognized in recent years is the aggregation of these breach data sets about all of us. Uh, frankly, there have been too many breaches of our data and this stuff is getting stuck together and think of it as a record, record database. And one of the key things to target enrichment is if you can find somebody's personal email address, you can likely use that as the primary key to get at their breach data set. So then you end up with a scenario where you're getting credential stuff. You're, you're a known target. Um, somebody has acquired, they've externally you know, enriched you as a target and they're going to stuff every password at you, at you or, or they're gonna basically take advantage of any weakness um, in, in your, your personal devices, uh, your personal accounts, or even your work accounts, if there's something with single-factor authentication, for example, that's going to be used against you uh, in, a tar in a targeting method. That's, that's one. Um, you know, in, in addition to that, the, the placement of a persona, I mean, that isn't just to steer you in a certain, in a certain direction, uh, provide information or disinformation to you. Um, it's, it may be to reach out to you directly. You may be the means to the end um, in, a, in a targeting objective or in, in an operation. And, you know, if, if it's gotten that far, then, yeah, it's, a, again, a big problem. So if you could talk to LinkedIn and ask them questions about the recent, you know, 21 million personas that they got rid of in, in the first half of the year, what would you be asking them and about, uh, also about their past activity on how they, you know, how they do this and how much of a priority it is to them and so on. So, you know, I think, again, it gets back to what, what did they know when and what they do about, what did they do about it? And I think their models are, um, you know, I think, I, I think the model that social media was, was built on has become a little bit of, uh, you know, what, what was seen as an asset is now becoming a liability. Um, but, so let's, let's just talk about that, not to interrupt you, but I want to talk about that for a second because the typical model for social media is, the acronym is ARM, attract, retain, and monetize. And the attract piece is just, okay, let's get as many people on the platform as we can, you know, and that they're active, right? There's also uh, a lot of statistics out there, and I don't want to bore everybody about social media, but uh, I obviously have done a tremendous amount of research myself into, you know, these and how you measure success in social media. And then so you have the, you attract this crowd and then you, you, know, you retain them by making it sticky and then you have this monetization uh, model, right? What is your revenue model and how that works and what kind of products and services you offer. So when I think about it, that you just said that that, you know, basically that model is sort of outdated. I mean, people don't realize Twitter has lost billions of dollars, billions of dollars. And they have like millions and millions of all these fake accounts out there. And, you know, and it's just people trolling people upon trolling people and, and, and the slime and everything on Twitter is just unbelievable. I mean, it's just a cesspool of, of crap. And if you go to a lot of different, you know, different places and the different boards and people, because people don't have any accountability. There's no accountability there, right? They're just down there. They could say whatever they say. There's no consequences. No one knows who they are. And things get really nasty down there. And they have these, you know, there's millions of you know, bots and fake accounts and it's uh, it seems to be sort of out of control. And I tell you what, I think they've had a lot of problem with advertising, not to get into the revenue piece of this, because I want to stick to the targeting uh, of, of folks on here, but yeah, I, it doesn't work. It just doesn't seem to work to me. I mean, I think they had their first profitable quarter ever just a couple quarters ago. I mean, ever. Right. And so people don't realize, wow, they're losing all that money. I think it was $2 billion. 
two billion, I think it is. And so, um, it, you know, LinkedIn uh, doesn't have as much of a problem as some of the other sites because people tend to be, I think, on their, uh, you know, they tend to want to promote themselves. It's a professional network. So really, you have to say who you really are. And when people say who they really are, they don't behave in an untoward way, right? And, and I think it's, um, it also, you know, puts them more out there. And that's why we're talking about LinkedIn because you're actually, it's their real information about who they are and what they're doing and who they work for and what their role is. I mean, what are you most afraid of with regard to targeting users on LinkedIn? What's the, most, what's the biggest fear? So I think there is nothing more powerful than what we do for a living, what systems we have access to and the other people that are in our networks. Um, this is extremely useful information to adversaries. And I think when you get into that ARM model and you talk about monetization and actually even attraction of users to a platform, this is, these are the conditions that, that have resulted in um, a high degree of attack surface to basically all verticals in free society through platforms like LinkedIn. Um, when we are the product that is being monetized, our data needs to be shared in some way. Um, this is problematic to us. I mean, I just want to share my data and my professional network within my professional network. I'm willing to pay for that. I would like for them to introduce a model where I can pay for that, that scheme. I think that would be worth doing. Um, and the attraction piece, too. Do we need to all be available on the public Internet? I think the answer to that is no. And I think if you threat model that attract piece, you have a civic duty or this is a, you know, I think your moral compass if you're in Silicon Valley and you apply it now, uh, when you build something and you do adversary-based threat modeling, you've got to think about, you know, and, and LinkedIn has access to all this data and they can apply some of these models. They can apply some protections on classes of users that map up to uh, a certain attack type or, or a certain level of attack surface against something important like elections. Um, and, and you can take action. I think. You know, I, I just generally have a lot of concerns with, with social media and I'm, I'm very careful. But in LinkedIn, I recognize that, you know, we all need, need to maintain our networks in order to keep moving up. You know, I think it's something that we need in order to find the next job. It's, it is the primary method now. Um, so it's, it, it's tough. And I think they need to work to make the platform better or they're going to be regulated, frankly. Because regulation always catches up when the attention level gets high enough. and uh, you know, I think we've just seen in recent weeks a lot of news regarding LinkedIn with personas. They've been talking about what they've been doing proactively, but um, I don't think it's enough. And I think that the data is still there. It's definitely still there. And, uh, you know, the users still have poor ops. They're not helping them. You know, so we're in a tough position. Did they position. Talk to you after your DEF CON talk or no? No, they did not. Interesting. Um, yeah, I thought that. I, I sort of expected that. Uh, to occur, but it, it didn't. And, you know, I mean, I pretty much put everything out there. And, you know, I think when you recognize a problem, you need to use data to tell a story. I think that's really important that you have, you collect the data and you have metrics. So when I, when I looked at DEF CON, I mean, I looked at, um, you know, the Lazarus Group and the large operation they carried, up, carried out in the financial sector against a specific system that will go unnamed here. Um, and then I looked at the data that was available in that platform from an acquisition perspective or target acquisition perspective. 
and the geo necessary necessary the geo elements as well and the OSINT elements in order to you know loosely recreate that operation based on the data that was available and this would assume the compromise of numerous environments of course but when you're looking at nation state adversaries you can make that assumption so i wanted to map it against that attack type and uh, the data was there and if you do do a statistical analysis against this data and you line it up in a model, you can create some really scary models, frankly. And they're still there. They were there in 2016. They're there now. And uh, that's you know, just sort of one of those things I think that keeps me up at night. And I'm glad to see a lot of other researchers, a lot of other people are bringing attention to this more. And realizing so you're, saying, that, you're saying that you're working on several models. What kind of models are you working on? Can you talk about that or no? So... I can't really talk in much detail on some of these things that I look at, you know, in my, my, uh, my hobbies, but you know, one, and I'll tell you, and this is just social media in general that can, concerns me is, you know, I think we're in, we're in, in the U S and in any free society, you know, again, I call it the soft, you know, soft underbelly of free societies. You know, we're starting to look at, you know, our elections, you know, how can any of these social media platforms be used against us? What are the threat models? What can go wrong? And some of the things, and, you know, to go back to, you know, where this all started, this is me and a bunch of security researcher friends right after Brexit, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, um, you know, we were looking toward the, the federal elections uh, that were upcoming. Um, and we were sitting there like, you know, if these elections are close, is it possible that a foreign adversary could use social media? You know, and, and we were talking about it. This is before Cambridge Analytica. And, you know, we talked about the different platforms and some of the, uh, the threats. And, and, you know, the ones in LinkedIn were there. They're still there now. Um, you know, they're, to, they're maybe to a lesser degree. And, uh, you know, it depends how you look at it. Twitter is, is what it is. But, um, you know, I think they're there across several verticals. Uh, I think it's highly problematic. I think we've got good guys that are working on them. There's no, you know, I don't think it, it, it does any benefit for me to discuss them. But. It's a big, um, it's a big concern. All right, Rich, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, Chief Security Architect and Cybersecurity Researcher, Mr. Rich Wickersham. You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com/VoiceAmerica. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology 
to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Chief Security Architect and Cybersecurity Researcher, Mr. Richard Wickersham. So it's not Richard, is it? It's Rich, right? Just Rich? I keep Just Rich. It. Yeah, it takes, I, I, I apologize for that. I do stuff like this all the time. Um, so Rich, I, um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about targeted user analytics. And we mentioned it, obviously, in the first and second uh, segments. And, uh, does, and it's, it's TUA for short. It, does TUA for, for companies make sense? And is it ethical for them to do it? There's a, I think there's an ethical piece to this whole uh, process, right? Yeah, there, there always is. And it absolutely makes sense is, is my conclusion based on the data is out, that is out there and what the bad guys are doing to us and how they're using that data. Um, and, you know, I think at its, at its basis, I mean, you're quantifying through statistical analysis and there's an algorithm in there as well. Um, how risky an individual is based on wh- how they appear externally to an adversary. Um, the data sets via breach data that are available about them, not pulling in the breach data, but what is available about them, and the behaviors that they exhibit within your network if you're a company. Um, when you put these things together, you, you have some tremendous data products that indicate who I need to protect and who's the weakest by how they behave, what behaviors they exhibit. It's something you've got to do. And I can remember, you know, when, when phishing simulation and even red teaming and doing, bringing in a third party for a pen test were looked at as, as uh, crossing some ethical boundary, but we had to do it out of necessity. And this is where we are with targeted user analytics today. 
we have to do it. We've got to fight fire with fire. We need to know who's weak and we need to have the data sets that the adversaries have and are using against us. And we've got to do it in a quantifiable manner. We, we need to numerically, we need to look at this as a math problem as much as anything else. And, and that's, what, that's the way I looked at it. And that's the way I modeled it. And, um, you know, I know there are other people doing the same thing now. And I've had a lot of people in the security community and the research community saying, that was a great idea. You took the simplest data and you put it, you put it together and you told me a story of how I can protect my, my important assets. And, you know, that's exactly what I want to hear and what we all need to do. And we've got to wake up to it and get it done as an industry. So, so Rich, you know, we talked about a little bit about this at the break, and I think it's a fascinating topic. You know, just so, so if I were to come across a persona, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm looking through my profile, and I'm like, man, this doesn't look right. Like, what, what do I do outside of maybe just, you know, this, you know, not not friending or unfriending or disconnecting? Like, what, what should I do if I encounter, you know, a real persona? Yeah. So, if you encounter a persona, um, it's likely not the beginning of an operation. It's likely you're in the second phase of an operation if they're specifically targeting you. It depends how they how the persona is behaving. So, this came up this past week, and I I replied. It was uh, Rob Naki. Hopefully, I pronounced his name right. My Council on Foreign Relations. They found in LinkedIn a persona um, that I think it came in with 24 users. Uh, they did some image analysis. They, they thought they detected um, a modified photo, but that ended up not being the case. And, um, you know, somebody was smart enough to catch it is, is the key thing. And catch it early because once a persona is matured, it has a lot of relationships. Um, it has the look and feel of a real person in an organization. It's harder to kick it out. At the beginning is probably the best time. But so if I encounter a persona, the first thing, if I'm in another organization, is I'm going to look at my OPSEC. You know, why are they here? How do they know what we have access to? Secondly is I'm going to look at who did the persona try to connect with, um, when and in what order. This could give me some, some indicator of an operation. Um, what did the persona post or promote? Um, what, this will give you some, some data about their motive. And did they attempt communication through any other methods? Did an email follow? Did a Twitter, uh, something on Twitter follow? And the third piece, and this is where things, you get into almost a CI element of how to handle a persona, is, is it a good idea to accept, uh, accept the connection request, the persona? Can you get more information out of that persona profile? Should you leave that persona intact if you're a mature, really mature organization or you've partnered with somebody? probably somebody, one of the authorities, uh, preferably, or somebody that's looked at this type of stuff before. Um, and if you do that, you can use it as a sensor. You could work against the bad guys, potentially. This is a risk-reward scenario, but it's, I think it's good to talk through. You know, because if you're a group like the Council on Foreign Relations, and you know there's some pretty sophisticated adversaries that are very interested in what these think tanks are producing or steering these think tanks in a, in a particular, or their users in a particular direction. So you need to take as much data from that persona as you can get and potentially consider using that persona against the adversary. Um, you could, of course, maybe fight the persona with your own defensive persona to throw them off. But again, that would be against the rules. Um, so a, there's a lot to think about here. And um, you know, I, I don't know that there's a, a, a particular process, but if you know your organization is targeted, and you found that persona, then harvest as much data out of it as you can. And again, map it into your models if you're 
if your um, security capability is really strong or you've partnered with somebody that can help you. So you're uh, certainly not recommending that individuals do this, but from an organizational perspective, you have security teams, intelligence teams that have these capabilities yep. in place. I could see the value of that, obviously, right? And it's, it's part of the intelligence-led model about knowing your adversary. It's someone who's obviously trying to, you know, get information to launch an attack at some time in the future. And it's interesting, you know, it, it's tough. I got to tell you, it's really tough because, you know, I've seen people on LinkedIn who are very senior people. And they're willing to connect to other people uh, that are, you know, junior uh, to them in, in, in their network. They're not always just about them, right? It's about building a network. And you never know what would come of, of a relationship, a business relationship. Any opportunity um, could arise in the future. And you could create a, a contact on a, in your network now. And, in you know, six years from now, something could come of, of that uh, business relationship. And so I see people uh, do, do this. And then I see... You know, some of these, um, and it's not too many, of course, but some of the, the, the younger folks will reject, uh, and people have mentioned to, this, to me before, it's like, you know, it's kind of funny. I reach out to some people, and they don't accept my, my LinkedIn requests. And uh, it's kind of puzzling because it's obvious from the person's position in some respects that they would be able to help uh, other people a lot more than, you know, they're looking for help. Uh, and these are very senior people out there, and there's very—it's a very small amount of them that are really are willing to do that. Once you get to a certain level, I think people just don't even go on LinkedIn anymore. Um, but you know, these are very senior folks, and then it's kind of puzzling. It's kind of puzzling because there's that rule: hey, if I haven't met you and I don't know you, I'm not going to link to you on the network. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about hey, look, if I don't know you personally. If I have not met you, then I am not going to connect with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, if you, if you don't, if you can't verify who you're connecting to, and this is a mistake we've already, many of us have made too, this mistake too many times or in our network. If you don't trust somebody that you're giving access to your information, if you've locked it down properly, and then you shouldn't accept the invite, plain and simple. If LinkedIn isn't doing more than, and it's all the users to control their security and control their sharing, and we've got to take take more control. If you've got people that you don't know who they are in your network, you can't vouch for them. And you're, I mean, obviously, if you have thousands of people in your in your network, it's problematic to go through and do this. But um, you need to kick them out. So at the end of the day, it's all about trust. It's all about trust. And and frankly, I think a lot of us are, have lost or are losing trust in this platform. But we need it still because it connects us to our jobs, to the next job. To our current job, to our networks. Um, but I think the same loss of trust that's occurred in Facebook and Twitter has occurred here. Um, I think that the threats that this platform brings to us are, are greater in some ways. It's funny, I just read something, you mentioned Facebook, but I read something somewhere that Facebook requires people to use their real identity, but the, their identity is never verified. I mean, so they say, hey, look, you got to be the person you say you are, but, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> you know, we're not going to try And that verification, I don't really want to give them my date of birth. I don't, you know, lie as much as possible, I think is is true, is a good statement to tell people sometimes. Don't give any platform more information than than they absolutely need, you know. So you're you're doing a lot of this targeted user analytics. What's the future here? What is the the future with that? What do you plan on dealing with this? How do you, you know, what's the way forward, at least for you in this space? So for me in this space, I know that anywhere I go, I'll probably 
I will likely utilize some of this. And I think it's just a way of thinking uh, about your attack surface to your company and how to protect your company uh, that you work for, companies you work for. Um, but, you know, as a product, I considered doing something with this. Um, and every time something happens in the, in, in the platform, people reach out to me, you know, Rich, when are you going to have something to sell me? Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a partnership and I'm, I'm more or less willing to give away most of the, most of the model there and allow people to build their own models. Frankly, you're going to, it's going to happen better in your own company, but, um, I've considered doing something with this, um, as a startup, but it's certainly as a project, I, I wanted to bring attention to the issues, um, which I think I've done successfully and, uh, you know, empower us to do a better job of protecting what matters. Um, so on, on that, you know, I'm always, I'm always open for, for discussion about what comes next. Um, I've uh, been in, in talks off and on for the last year of, uh, working on some of the pre-attack model with MITRE and some of those folks and, and putting in some of these techniques and so most of the techniques at a high level are there, but at a really high level, it, you can't see the data. It doesn't tell a story. People don't understand exactly how it's real to them. And I think uh, targeted user analytics was a method to make it very real for anybody that wanted to do it and make them understand. You've got to, you've got to show, you've got to show someone in order to teach them. You can't tell them, you have to show them. And I think when you, when you engage, uh, you can engage this methodology and, and it's likely that it's being done by some other parties too at, at uh, the vertical, at the macro level or at the micro level. It's very, very effective. Rich, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This was very interesting. I'd love to have you back. Obviously, I want to continue this conversation with you uh, offline as well because uh, there's a lot to talk about here. And uh, I just really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Yeah, hey, George, I really appreciate you having me on. The one last thing I want to mention is that my views are my own and not the opinions of my current or past employers. <laughs> I always need to say that, and I wanted to make sure I got it in. Maybe I should have done it at the beginning. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. The hanger is good. Yeah. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, man. You got it in. Uh, we get it. We definitely get it. I got my own disclaimer at the beginning of the show as well. So. Thanks, Rich, uh, and we'll catch up uh, as, as soon as we're break. I want to I wanna catch up on a few things to make sure we sync up afterwards. But, folks, we got to go. Before I, I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.